Okay, this morning I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures here and just to show you where we can be. And I'll read 2 Corinthians 7. In verse 5 it says this, For when we, and this is Paul, and he's speaking of those that were with him and those that would be hearing and receiving from Christ with him and them with him together. He said, for when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Our bodies, really, is what he's saying. Our body, these physical bodies at times, don't experience the rest that we have inwardly. But, but in place of the rest, we were troubled. You see, that's what the enemy desires to do. He desires to trouble us with thoughts that don't have to do with the fact that, that Christ has conquered every single thing about us. I mean, if he, in Romans 8, verse 37, and if he's taken care of our eternal destiny for all, forever, <laughs> well, will he not also freely give us these all things that have to do with time in Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 32? So he said, our, our, our flesh had no rest. And there's no rest in the flesh. There's no rest in fleshly thinking. There's no rest in us uh, being separated from Christ. There's no rest there. And so, but we were troubled on every side. Now, we're going to still have trouble, even when Christ is our absolute all. When he's, our, when he's the purity of our consciousness, and that's what he is. We know we have a pure conscience. Uh, and we do when, when we experience Christ in our own individuality. He said, but we were troubled on every side. We're going to have that because we're in the world system in John 17 and verse 16, but we're not of it. And we also, in Romans 8 verse 9, we have the flesh in us, but we're not of it. But we were troubled on every side. And he said, without we're fightings. Without were fightings, and we know that where the fightings come from, you know, in James chapter 4, and if you read those first four verses there, we'll see where all the fightings that aren't of God come from. That's where they all come from, which is the flesh and, and, and functioning in the world system. So, but without were fightings. And there are fightings that we do have to fight because in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 and 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. And the good fight of faith always speaks of a continual dependence. And in that dependence that we can experience and only experience in Christ when our wills are submitted to him, when we're humbled and he's given us the grace to do so, we can stand still in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13. We can stand still and see the, the salvation, the deliverance of God, and know how we need to be constantly delivered from our own fleshly thoughts, being over-occupied with, with the details of life. And even those things, even in, in any sense, they can wear us out. They can, but that's why... When the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 25, he said, quicken me according to your, to your word because my soul, my self-conscious capacity is cleaving to the dust. 
my body, my self-conscious thoughts, uh, based upon how maybe my body feels and its weakness and its pain and its tiredness. But you, as, as you led us to pray this morning, you can quicken us. You will and you can quicken us because Jesus, you showed us the way when you submitted to the Father. And you had a human nature, a human body just like us. You didn't have a sin nature, but you had a, a human body and you got tired and you were thirsty. But when you submitted to the fa Father, which you always uh, showed us what to do in the midst of trouble and fightings without and fears within, you showed us in Matthew eleven twenty seven how that we could come unto you you could, we could come unto you and how quickly, how quickly you're waiting and how quickly we should come unto you. All that labor, all that labor and are heavy laden. And then you'll give us the rest that, that is ours in our position, but you'll make it beautifully experiential in our experience. And so Paul said, without we're fightings and within we're fears. And th those things we experience. And we'll see what happens with those. And then he said in verse 6, Nevertheless, God that comforts those that are cast down. We can get cast down. Through just being having weak, frail, physical bodies and being tired and, and just being worn out with things. We can even be worn out with the enemy who constantly projects imaginations against the dependent thoughts that are ours in Christ. We see that. Because in, even in Daniel 7 and verse 25, he speaks great words against the Most High. Notice what that says. He, Satan, speaks great words against the Most High to wear out the saints. He can't speak anything against God. I mean, he can't face God in any way and come out victorious. But the words that he speaks against God, he speaks against us. He can't wear God out, but he can wear out us if we don't, just by pure grace and simplicity, just submit to him. And so that's what he was saying. He said, nevertheless, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6, nevertheless, God, that comforts those that are cast down, comforts us by the coming of Titus, how we can build each other up. How when we receive the word and submit to it in Ephesians 4, 11, to speak the truth in love in 4.15 of Ephesians and grow up in him and then become a joint that supplies for others. And we're going to see the freest place to be is in God's presence. And when we are in God's presence, we lose, we lose all the troubles of the self-life. And we start, and when we think of God instantly, instantly, even in our daily lives with the things that we do, we think of others. We think of others. So nevertheless, God that comforts those that are cast down comforts us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. There was in a mutual comfort and exchange of Christ. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me. We have a fervency of love that Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has placed in us individually for each other. A fervent love. That fervent love 
It speaks of a fire that consumes everything that's not of the purity of his love. And we have that for each other. And God's placed that in us, that fervent love for us that burns within us and that love that we can have for each other. He said, your mourning and your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. And what a beautiful place that is. So when Paul was saying this in 2 Corinthians 7, in verse, in verse 5, when he said that we were troubled on every side and without were fightings and within were fears, really I believe what he had in mind was Deuteronomy 32 and verse 25. And this is what Deuteronomy 32 and verse 25 says. It says, the sword without, <laughs> all those fightings that come against us from the world system, or just looking at the evil in the world system that surrounds us. And remember, remember, there's a storm. The storm there, the storm that rages, speaks of the whole world system. It's chaotic, trouble, all kinds of things to cause worry. And for the believer, when it enters in, to cause guilt and condemnation and fears. But even though the world system is a storm without raging, within, we are in the eye of God's presence. And in the eye of the storm, the eye of the hurricane, there's a peace where the sun is shining and everything is calm. And that is the proper experience of the Christian in the midst of the world system. And this is how he quickens us. That's why even when a lot of us showed up this morning and we were tired, all of us, I believe in some measure we all were. We were tired and experienced physical pain in our bodies and, and so forth. But this became our opportunity to not live by how we feel, by abs but instead in the place of that absolute dependence. Because in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith. Absolute dependence. And not by even how we feel in our bodies. And so, in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 25, it says, The sword without, and then terror within. Terror within. It says, will destroy. Can't touch opposition, but goes after the experience. Will destroy. Watch this. Both the young men, okay, and the virgin, the sucklings, young, very, very young, also with the man of gray hairs. <laughs> it can affect every single one of us. But we all come, and when we gather as one, in the fervency of his love, inwardly. And that's the thing that draws us, the thing that actuates his love in us, is that love that's for us. And God's love is always for us as we pass through this world system. So it can affect all of us. We can, it can affect all of us. But when I submit my will and function in the fervency of his love, which comes only through grace, through a will that's submitted, I am not only free myself in the fervency of his love, that love that consumes everything that's not of him, but I have love for another. The greatest place to be is when, we, is when we function experientially in his presence because we're free from self. And then when it's God, you know it's others. And so that's what Paul was saying. He was saying that. And when we can understand these things, we can, we can understand these things. What a beautiful, what a tremendous and, and beautiful place to be. It's the most fantastic place to be, isn't it? 
Where is that freedom? Out of his presence experientially? No, it's in his presence. But our experience is to be the measure, is to be the measure of my position in him. And this is what makes it necessary for us in the midst of the world system that we are in, but that we are not of, in John 17 and verse 16, <clears throat> it's very necessary for us in these particular scriptures that God would bring to our minds this morning would be in Romans, the fifth chapter, and verse 1. Therefore, it says, therefore, and this is very, this is very beautiful when we can understand them this way. The therefore, the therefore here, goes back to chapter 4 and 3. The, the therefore. And all, seriously, it does go all the way back to the first chapter in the understanding of those. So therefore is going back to that. It's going, the, therefore is, okay, listen, think back in chapter 4, read it. Read it. Then read verse, chapter 3, then 2 and 1. And there, therefore, the therefore is bringing out to you and I, it says in 5.1 of Romans, therefore being justified. Our proper being, our proper position and experience is our proper brand new life, which is our new being. And what is it? We're justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation by what? Faith, dependence. And when I depend on him, and knowing my position, and when I submit to that, when I do submit to him by this faith dependence, we have not only positionally, but now experientially, we have peace with God. Right now, as we, right now, we have peace with God. You know, we talked about the eye of the hurricane. The eye of the hurricane where everything is calm is the Father's sight of you and I in Christ. Right now. That's, that's, his sight of us. We've said so many times in Job 36 and verse 7, he never, God, never removes his eye from the righteous. That's who we are in Christ Jesus, no matter what, no matter how we feel. Because does my position have to do with anything, any of my feelings? Does it have to do with that? No. Can feelings even think? No. Feelings, listen, feelings only can respond. That's all they can do. Feelings just respond. Emotions are just responders. And if I, if we've, as we've been taught in the past, if I have bad feelings, if I have bad feelings, which can't think, it's just based upon the initiation of a thought life. So what the mind initiates, whatever's in the content of my thinking is what I will initiate to my feelings, and my feelings, if they're bad, can only respond to that, and they tell me that my thoughts are bad, they're not right. They are not right in that sense. So therefore, being justified by absolute and complete dependence, we have and experience peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it? It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. They have anything to do with ourselves apart from him, it doesn't. So by, by whom, by whom also we have access by dependence. Every time I'm dependent, that's the access immediately to God because it's through Christ. 
And then the power of the Holy Spirit comes in, and then he's able to take the things that are Christ, that are ours in Christ, in John chapter 16 and verse 13 and 14. And he's able to guide us into proper thinking. To guide us into proper thinking. Then my emotions, which God did design in the perfection of his love, to experience not only my joy, but his joy. Because <laughs> I wouldn't have any if he didn't have some. And he does have joy. And that's brought out in this, in this same chapter in the 11th verse of Romans 5. So by whom also we have access by faith. No, you don't. The enemy says, no, you don't. See how bad you feel? No, you don't. Even the access that we have by faith is even when we fail and when we do sin, it's confessing it. That's part of our growth. That's part of the fact of who we are in Christ. Not that we, not that we sin, not that we sin that grace may abound, not that we do that, not that we do it, because God doesn't give us grace to live in sin in Romans 6.1 and in Romans 6.15, but grace is the only way that will bring me to a proper decision in my will through grace to submit to the reality and have a proper confession. And that's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, are we asking and praying for forgiveness? Nope. Confession is based upon the fact that we're already forgiven in Ephesians 4 and verse 32. We're already forgiven. And so, again, it's by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. What? This grace. This grace wherein we what? We stand. This is necessary. And stand and rejoice in the hope. Remember hope here. We never see outside of Colossians 1 and verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is in me, is it maybe or maybe not that I'll, I'll experience his glory and my glory? No, it's guaranteed. We're guaranteed we're guaranteed, as we concentrate this morning, we're guaranteed, we're guaranteed of this, this hope that's an experiential reality based upon a position that we have in Christ. So we have this grace wherein we stand. Do we stand outside of grace? So do we stand outside of faith, dependence, that releases the grace that gives us the ability to stand? We have this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God and not only, not only so, but we glory in what? Tribulations. Because we know that tribulation, you know, knows that we know that tribulation works patience. And patience is, is experiencing his love. Because his love in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 4, is, is patient, it's long-suffering. And, and we can suffer along with him and go through these, this world system. It works patience. And patience what? Experience. Can I experience who I truly am in Christ without the sense of his grace and without being humbled and depending upon him? It brings in what? Experience. And what's the experience based upon? What's it based upon? The grace by faith that we stand in positionally. My standing, my standing is my position in Christ. 
It's above everything. Is, Christ, is not Christ seated at the right hand of the Father? Is he not above everything? Does he not have preeminence in Colossians 1 and verse 18? Does he have preeminence above everything? Is he sovereign? Yeah. Is he in us? And is he above everything? Every weakness, every tired feeling, every pain, all of these things. Is he above all of those things? And he is. And he's leading us through. And so patience, patience experience. You know, and, and again, read James the first chapter. Read James the first chapter. And it's a beautiful chapter about this. What, what, what trials and patience work in us. It's very beautiful. You don't have to read it now. So you don't miss the concentration of what God's giving us right now. And that's why I say honestly, and I say it for all of our sakes, uh, to, it, the most important thing this morning is to listen. And, and even not even, honestly, and I say it honestly, not even try to, try to find the scriptures. Because then we can miss the flow of what God has for us. And I say that because God's for us. And it's being said in no way against us or to accuse or condemn. So patience, experience, and experience hope. So what is that? And I'll turn right there for you and I'll read that. And look what it says here in James, the first chapter. It says, James, a servant of God. Isn't that great? A worshiper of God. Not of self, not of details. My mind isn't occupied with details. A servant, a worshiper of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes, my brother and what? Count it all joy when you enter into diverse testings. Because God never tempts us. We, we always remember that. You'll see that in the 12th and 13th verses and, and the reason for it in the 14th and 15th verses. But God never tempts. He's testing and the reality of our experience. Ah, are we leaning on Christ for every single detail? Are we doing that? And so, <clears throat> count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of testings. Now, the enemy tempts. Christ never does. He tests. He tests our dependence on him. So, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the testing there, testing, are you? experientially trusting him in the sense of grace. And does anything make any sense in our life? The moment we get away from receiving grace, does anything make any sense? The moment we get away from it. And so, again, it says this, that knowing this, knowing it, we need to experience what is ours in our position, but knowing this, that the trying of your faith works what? Patience. Patience. Experience in his love in every detail. But let patience have, have perfect work. Hers not in there. I'd cross that out in a millisecond. But let patience have its perfect work, or his, I would even say, his perfect work. The work that he's working in us that makes sense through his grace is everything that he's completed about us. And everything that he's completed about us has to do with the perfection of his person and the perfection of the work that he's accomplished for you and I in every single detail. And so we, we are to let patience have that perfect work that you may be what? Complete 
Entire means complete and entire. Perfect means complete, that his love has done that. The completion of his love experientially drives out all kinds of fear. Right? In first, uh, John 4 and verse 18. Because if I don't experience what love's completed, if I don't experience that based upon my position, then that's an indicator that I'm living in some form of doubt or fear. So here again, this is what it says. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and entire, lacking nothing. When I don't have the sense of grace, do I feel lack? Yes, because I'm depending on the flesh, which is under the enemy. And so, complete, lacking nothing. Now, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, how simple is this? Let him ask of God. And when it says that gives, does God give? Is he God a giving God to those that are his? Yes. Where does he give us that? Well, James 4, verse 6 says, God resists what? The proud. Those that are ignorantly or rebelliously or stubbornly, stubbornly living without him. God resists the proud. He says to us, don't blame the circumstances, don't blame the people, don't blame the schedule, don't blame others. The reality is, the reality is that what is pride? It's rejecting the sense of his grace, of what he's waiting to, to bring into our experience. That, that is only based upon the position. And he's, is he positioned in us? In Ephesians, the first chapter, he's positioned in us. But where am I positioned in my experience? So, James 4, 6, if any lack, uh, 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 God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace, greater and more intense, fervent degrees of grace to what? To those that he has humbled. Listen, what's God's plan designed to do? It's to humble us. Are we in these weak, frail bodies? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we have, we have the flesh, the whole world system, and Satan with an invisible demonic army coming against us, never resting, never taking a, a second off, always coming against us? Yes. If any of you lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God that gives. Who does God give grace to? Those that he's humbled. That grace, that sense of grace that he gives us that's based upon our position, when I submit to it, my experience is what that grace that Christ is and the truth that he is brings into my experience. That keeps Satan out and Christ within. It keeps that storm that's around from entering into the calm truth about who we are in Christ. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all, what? Liberally. What is liberally here? And upbraids not. He doesn't think it's something. The smallest thing that we, that we desire in him, that his will has led us to, to trust him for, he doesn't think it. He doesn't think anything is too small. Furthermore, in Zechariah 4, verse 10, despise not. Don't think lightly of the day of small things, the smallest little detail. Don't think of it that way. 
But that what it says here is that gives to all men liberally. What is that? When he gives. And the only way that God can give the love that he is is through grace. And the only way that I will receive it is through, through submission of the will and humility. And so when it says liberally there, this is what it says in Romans 5 and verse 5. And hope, hope, and who is our hope? Christ in Colossians 1 and verse 27. Hope makes not what? Keeps out what? Shame. Because what's, what's, what's connected with shame is guilt and condemnation. Fear is also. Because the love of God and this is the King James, is shed abroad. Shed abroad there is poured out without measure. The love of God is poured out without measure. I come with the smallest little need, and when I do and submit, he has an ocean of love waiting for us. Is, is poured out into our minds, flowing into our emotions. Now I have you splagnos, good emotions. Poured out by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So the Holy Spirit pours out the reality of our position, which we can't do without submission. And then he takes the things of Christ. Then in John 16, verse 13, he begins to guide us into what? All truth. And shows us the things that are ours in Christ, in our experience. He pours it out. So if any of you, in James 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, just let him ask of God that gives to all, liberally it says here, but without measure, really, without measure. We can't measure the love of God. Even in the smallest thing that he gives us through grace, it's just his love giving. We can't even measure it. It goes beyond like, God, do you ever say, God, why? You know, you pray and you ask and maybe you, you need victory over a sin or you're struggling and, and then, fi then finally he comes in and he, and he gives you this grace that's always in Isaiah 30, verse 18, he's been waiting and he's waiting. Where does he wait for us? In our position. Does he invade our experience? Does he bypass our will? No, he just knocks in Revelations 3.20. He knocks on the door of our will and says, just let me in. Just let me in. I desire to have fellowship with you. And so, to all, to all, without measure, and he doesn't think it's an issue. He doesn't make an issue of it. The enemy wants to convince us. You know, why do you bother God with these small things? Well, really? <laughs> He's not only the God of the big things. He is the God of the big and the small because Christ in Colossians 3.11 is all and in all. <laughs> and what? And it will be given him, but let him ask in what? The complete dependence and humility. Nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind, the atmosphere, Satan and all his lies and his projections, that's brought out in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 through 6. Driven with the wind and tossed. And when we're driven with the wind experientially, what is he trying to do? Drive us away from experience, intimacy with Christ and his love. And then tossed. Nothing makes any sense. Nothing makes any sense. For let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. Because is he thinking in terms of how God thinks about him in Christ? 
No. Does he ever change in Malachi 3, 6? And he, even James 1, verse 17? No. He doesn't change. His thought, his, full, his Christ in us, which is his full thought for you and I individually, never changes. Never changes. Let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord because it's self versus Christ, and always in competition. A double-minded man is what? Is unstable. Unstable in all his ways. What does it mean to be unstable? Well, you ever walk on sand? You ever walk on it? That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Do you ever walk on a solid foundation? Your footing's much more secure than walking on sand. The sand in that particular case, for us as in this context as believers that are positioned in Christ would have to do with our feelings, our emotions. If we walk by our emotions, there's no stability in it. That's why the Bible teaches us even our good emotions and our bad emotions are not, the, are not an indicator. We don't rely on those as an indicator of who Christ is. Because everything he did Everything he did, and if, he, if we do have good emotions, it's only based upon what he did. But we still can't live on those. Can I live on the good truth that I had in my, in my mind that initiated to my emotions yesterday? Can I live on that today? No. We need to have daily bread. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And that's always teaching us humility and what to feed on. To not feed on doubt, fear, and we all get that. We all get those things. And he knows that because he went through that. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he will receive, because there's no grace, there's no sense of grace here, anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is what? Is unstable in all his ways. It means he just, a Christian will look, not live in the order of God's thoughts or one thought, which is Christ in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, but we'll live in confusion. We'll live in confusion. And so, as we close this up this morning, this, these thoughts I had, these thoughts I had, even about what, and we'll get into this, we're going to get into this again on, on uh, what is this day? Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, so, We'll get into these thoughts again on Thursday and then really expand and go into about prophecy, but first having the foundation laid in us and prophecy and, and get into that on Friday in Second Peter 1, uh, verses 17 to 21. But how that, that, how we groan, and we're going to get into that, we're going to get into that on possibly even tomorrow night about why we groan. And I, I believe that God wants us to continue on that. And, and, and we groan for two reasons. And we're going to find that out on Wednesday night, I believe, and Thursday, and possibly even into Friday. And uh, give us the full mind of Christ about, about these details and about prophecy being fulfilled. And that, again, that, so that when we function in Christ, and, and we don't lose the sense of grace and we're on a stable foundation as we walk through this world, even though the world is in chaos. Nothing makes any sense, does it? Of course, it's not God's sense. It wasn't, the world system was never of God. We know who it's of. 
but how that that how the enemy will even try to use prophetic truth that he can't stop and do anything about and that he's a part of in the most negative evil sense, wants to work it into us and cause fear. So that we groan in a wrong way. I mean, we groan for, for a couple of reasons, for two specific reasons. We'll see that uh, as God brings it out on, on Wednesday night. And see, he gives us just enough, doesn't he? To keep us hungry. That's right. He gives us just enough to keep us hungry, to keep us coming back, to constantly show us that every need that we have is met by Christ. And we don't experience it being fulfilled until we feed on him. Not, we don't fear, feed on doubt, fear, and guilt. Romans chapter 14, verses 22 says, Happy is the man that condemns not himself in the thing that he allows. Oh, I wish so many could hear this with us this morning. Happy, joyful is the man that doesn't even condemn himself in the thing that he allows. Imagine that. Because God doesn't condemn us in Romans 8 verse 1. But happy is the man that condemns not himself. Deals with it in 1 John 1 9. Yes, confesses it. Yes. Brings in a proper thought life through confession. Yes. But it keeps condemnation out. It, it, there is a godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. But it's never with regret. But worldly sorrows always with regret. And that's prophecy being fulfilled. It has no place in our experience. We're to see it and understand it and know how close we are. So in Romans 14, 22, happy is, is the individual, man or woman, that condemns not himself, who's in Christ, and the thing that he allows. The enemy, the accuser. And we're going to see that too. The two voices. The accuser in Revelations 12 and verse 10, the accuser of the brethren. We're going to see how if he can't deceive us. It's two things he's always trying to do to us to keep out the sense of grace. This is very key. Two things he's always trying to do to believers. To deceive them so that they don't experience the sense of grace and nothing makes any sense. Why am I here? What's this all about? And then when he can't deceive us and when we do function by pure grace and the truth that's ours in Christ because he's in us, he accuses. He accuses. And that can enter into some groaning, too. But we'll get into these things. But see, Romans, and we'll close with Romans 14, 22. Happy is the man that condemns not himself and the thing that he allows. And, he, and then in verse 23, it says, and he that doubts, right? He that doubts. Is any groaning come from that? He that doubts is damned if he eat. Because he eats not of what? Faith, dependence. But who I am truly in Christ. Whatsoever is not of faith, dependence, through the sense of grace, is what? It's sin. It's the activity of the flesh and the believer under the enemy. And that's not who we are. Our, sin, our sins are not who we are in Romans 7, 17 and 20. Thank God. So Father, thank you for this truth. And thank you for preparing us in this continual way that you do with your love, which is so incredible, God. I so look forward with every member of the body of Christ here and whoever hears this, who's ever that you have placed in Christ positionally, uh, that we could all hear this. I am so excited to be able to hear what you have for us on Wednesday night, on Thursday morning, and on Friday morning. It's, it's just such an excitement that we have. And so, Father, thank you.
In Jesus' most holy name, we are so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.